Isaiah 61, starting at verse 1. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and to release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and to provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work in your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion and instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. And arrayed, and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the young plant come up, and a garden causes seed to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everybody. If I haven't met you yet, uh, my name's Tim. Uh, my wife, Rosie, and our little daughter, we're, we're here at St. Paul's. Whilst I'm training to be an Ordinand uh, up at Oak Hill. And let me tell you, we, we have got such a wonderful passage to look at this morning. Uh, now, this week at lunch, a group of us were chatting at college about the best Christmas films out there. Um, naturally, my opinion was correct. Um, and I, I was batting for the holiday. Uh, Any holiday fans here? Or to-be holiday fans, I think. Um, It's a a brilliant Christmas film. It's a classic film because it's it's a wonderful turnaround. You start the film and there are are four people and their lives are going down the wrong track. But over the course of the film, they meet each other, it snows, they all couple off, Jude Law wears a cardigan. It's wonderful. It's a great Christmas film. Because what it does, it, it touches on that thing within us that loves a rags to riches story. Right? You know, people who, uh, for who life is you know, hopeless and miserable. But by the end of the film or the book or the TV series, everything's looking rosy. We love that sort of stuff. And Isaiah this morning, he, he's got the greatest turnaround that we're going to see. We're going to see people who have gone from the, the worst situation to the best by the end. Uh, let's pray. And then we, can, then we can get started. Uh, gracious Father, we, we thank you that you speak to us uh, through the words of the Bible. Thank you that these words are from you. Uh, 
And so we pray as we read them this morning, uh, your spirit would be warming them to our hearts, that we would delight in you, that we would see you and love you and see the Lord Jesus and love him as well through what we read this morning. Amen. Now, when I was, when I was a bit younger, 3D TV was, uh, was trying to get started. Can people remember that? 3D TV and, and films, you go to the cinema, you basically have to pay slightly more money to watch the same film through a pair of terrible plastic glasses. But the, the point of those things were, was that in order to fully understand and fully experience the film, you had to put the glasses on. Uh, you, you could sit there and you could watch it in 2D, but you'd be missing out, right? It wouldn't be as good there'd be details that you just wouldn't quite understand until you put the glasses on. And we're going to do something a little bit like that this morning as we go through Isaiah. Uh, We're going to take two passes at this chapter. Uh, We're going to go through it once and pull some things out that we see. But then we're going to put some glasses on. We're going to be given a verse that unlocks this. And then we can see it in so much more greater depth and richness in detail. Uh, We're we're jumping in at the Bible story at a time where God's people have just returned from a time in exile. Uh, Because of their constant turning from God to idols, God had allowed the nations around them to come and carry them off. Uh, That was now history because some of God's people had returned, but everything just wasn't quite right. Yeah, they were, they were back in the land, but they were standing there and they were, they were surrounded by kind of ruins and rubble, you know, farms that had been uh, not worked on for, for decades. And they were wondering just, God, what have you done? They were wondering what happened to the promises of the Old Testament about God having a people that would be greatly blessed in this land. And they were looking around and going, is this it? And so God gives Isaiah a vision. That's what this chapter is. It's a vision of of the future, a vision of things to come, a vision to to encourage Isaiah and to remind the people that God has got it all in control. There is a wealth of stuff in this chapter, uh, but it really boils down to two things. That's what we're going to spend our time on. Firstly, we'll see, or we do see that, God guaranteed an anointed, restoring preacher. Uh, Let's take our first pass through this chapter. Uh, Verse 1, we're introduced to the person speaking these first nine verses. They say this, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Yeah, straight away, we see that they are someone incredibly special. This is almost the, the summary of who they are and what they're going to do. This is what they put at the top of their CV. This is someone who God has anointed, someone who the God has given his spirit to. And what are they going to do? Well, they're going to proclaim good news to the poor. The way that the poetry works in the next couple of verses is it's almost like a torrent of water that's supposed to overwhelm us. It's supposed to feel like it's just a barrage of things coming. So let's go on and see what this preacher's going to do. This is the second half of verse 1. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and to release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance from our God. He's going to bind up their wounds. Prisoners and captives are going to be set free. 
darkness at the end of verse 1. Darkness in Isaiah is it's, it's kind of more than a miserable December evening. You know, darkness in the Bible is often a picture of the, the deepest hopelessness. It is despair. It is, what are we going to do? And this preacher is going to release people from that. In proclaiming the year of the Lord's favour, that's, that's Old Testament language for ushering in a new era of God's blessing for his people. And he goes on you know, to comfort all who mourn. And then verse 3, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow upon them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and on and on and on. You know, the people that were poor and brokenhearted, the people that were dwelling in darkness, the people that were in captivity, well now they are crowned. Ashes and despair and mourning are replaced with joy and praise. No, the people are completely transformed. The, the, the language here of, of crown and oil and garment, that's a nod to, to what the kings and the priests in the Old Testament would wear. You know, these people that were lowly and brokenhearted and in captivity, no, they've been elevated now to a position of, of kingly, well, priesthood. And Isaiah saves us the best picture till last. This is the second half of verse three. He says, they, these are the people now, they will be called oaks of righteousness. Yeah, oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. There, there's, a, there's a bus stop um, on, the, on the main road that our road links to and um, when you're standing waiting for a bus, uh, by the bus stop there's a little kind of square patch of kind of mud, basically, with a tiny tree in it. I, I think it must be two or three years old. It's still got its kind of plastic protective collar that they have. And it, in all honesty, it's the kind of tree that you would look at and you just feel a bit sorry for it. You know, it's, in the, it's surrounded by concrete. It's on a busy main road. It doesn't look very strong. It's the kind of tree that you look at and you think... I just wouldn't be surprised if it doesn't last the winter. But then also whilst you're standing there at the bus stop, if you look uh, towards the direction of our road, you can see one of the oak trees that, that sits on the, the borders of the college grounds. And we've all seen oak trees, haven't we? And this, this one is majestic. Yeah, it's, it's huge. It would probably take four or five people to, to get their arms around it, to span it. Its, it's branches go up and out. It is, it's immovable. It's steadfast. It's, it's the kind of tree that you'd hit the tree with your car and your car would be written off and the tree wouldn't even notice. And that is the image for these people. Yeah, immovable, glorious, steadfast. This is the good news that the preachers come to proclaim. The camera pans out now as, as we move on and we, we see the wider effects of the work of this preacher. Cities that were once devastated and destroyed will now be restored, that's verse four. Yeah, imagine what that would have meant like for the Israelites standing in the ruins of their city, thinking back to the former glory that was once there, being told that this won't be forever. Imagine what it would be like for inhabitants today in Gaza or, or Kiev or Mariupol or Donetsk looking around at the rubble of their city and someone saying, one day the smoke's going to clear and this will all be rebuilt. Imagine what that's going to feel like for them. You know, only the work of the preacher has got the power to overturn this. 
and Isaiah builds on this, showing a new people flocking into this wonderful restored land into these cities. Verse 5 says this, strangers, and sh- strangers will shepherd your flocks and foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. Yeah, the strangers, the foreigners here, they're the Gentile nations. Basically the nations around Israel. The, the foreigners, people who are always on the outside. But now they're welcomed in. Uh, some, some people suggest that this is the language of um, yeah, imperialism, of conquest, of empire. You know, the now victorious people of God, well, well everyone else is going to serve them. But, but I don't buy that because if we look to verse 6, how are God's people to relate to these nations that are coming in? What are they going to be called? We get it twice there. Priests and ministers. These aren't the roles of empire. These, these, are, these are roles of service. No, no, they're to help serve the nations as they come to serve God. Now this, what this is, is, is a wonderful picture of of all people, of all nations, gathering to serve the Lord in his new place. It's wonderful, and it works towards crescendo in verse 7, where their shame and their disgrace is replaced by their inheritance. And we finish with the everlasting joy that's going to be theirs. What what a turnaround. What a transformation of these people, where they've come from, where, where they now are. It constantly we're being told in these verses, instead of. You're instead of this, instead of, instead of, instead of. No, Isaiah follows the, the music of the Bible. No, don't worry. One day, everything will be put right again. Instead of this, there's going to be something better. And I wonder for the, for the Israelites hearing this, maybe for us reading this, we go... That just sounds a bit too good to be true, right? This is, this is the kind of stuff Disney makes their money from. You know, how on earth is this possible? They're probably thinking by the time they get to the end of verse 7. Thinking of their situation. How on earth is any of this going to happen? Because we all know it's all well and good promising the world, but unless you've got the ability to fulfill it, well, they're just empty words. You know, I, I could promise Rosie a, a brand new diamond necklace for Christmas, but I've got no means of being able to follow through on that promise. I, I'd be writing a check I couldn't cash in almost every way. But wonderfully, the promise of this, the promise of this, this anointed preacher is guaranteed by God himself. This is where we get the pivot in verse 8, and God now starts speaking. Look down with me at verse 8. He says this, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nation and their offspring among all peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. God is the one who's underwriting this check. It is in his faithfulness that this new covenant, uh, th- this way of making sure all this is going to happen, it is God who is backing that up. You know, everyone is going to look at the people and go, wow. You know, God is blessing them. 
God is going to do this and it's going to lead to the worldwide acclaim of God and his people. And in the last two verses, we, we get the only fitting and right response to this. Now we see that the people respond with praise. Verse 10, we get a different eye now. This, this is kind of the royal eye. This is a spokesperson. This is someone responding on behalf of the people. And this is what they say. It's the first half of verse 10. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. See, everything God has promised leads to one response. Rejoicing. Rejoicing because God has given righteousness and salvation. Remember before in in the first couple of verses, these people are are clothed in mourning and despair. Disgrace and shame is what they're wearing. But now, look at what has been replaced with, second half of verse 10. He has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. God has replaced everything that was before with garments of salvation and righteousness. Like a wedding, Isaiah says, that's what he goes on to say, as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. You know, everyone dressed up in their finery for a wedding. God has taken the very best things that he has and clothed his people with them. You know, the people respond in praise and rejoicing because of what God has done. And they also respond because of the certainty. Uh, we get another kind of gardening illustration here in verse 11. Because just as sure as the plants grow each year, that is as sure as we can be that God is going to do this. If you spend any time in the garden, you will know the constant battle against weeds, right? We're, you know, we're in December now. But we all know that March and April and May is going to roll around and the grass will grow and the leaves will come up on the trees and and the flowers will bud and bloom again. It is inevitable. It always happens. That is what Isaiah is trying to say. That is why the people are giving praise. And that's Isaiah 61. But maybe we're sitting here and we're thinking, well, we're in Advent. And we're we're, we're getting ready for Jesus and we're thinking about Christmas. And this is a wonderful, wonderful bit of the Bible, but it's not very Christmassy, is it? Where are the shepherds and the angels and the wise men? Well, remember the glasses we were thinking of at the beginning? Those 3D glasses that, that give clarity? Someone's about to tell us to put those on. Because God's people read this. And they then waited. They were waiting and waiting and waiting for this anointed preacher. Waiting for the one who would come who's going to restore everything. Waiting for the one who's going to restore them. And seemingly not much happened. And then one Saturday morning, hundreds of years later, this happens. This is in Luke chapter 4. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up and on the Sabbath day went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. 
unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began by saying this, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now what Jesus did that Saturday morning in that synagogue was, was he got up and he said, you know, all of that wonderful stuff in Isaiah 61 about the anointed preacher, the one who has the spirit of God, the one who's going to restore all things, Jesus gets up and he says, that's me. And then suddenly the glasses are on, right? The, the clarity of what this chapter is all about comes to the fore. You know, Jesus is the true anointed one and this is, I guess this is his manifesto. Jesus who proclaimed good news to the poor, you know, the literal poor in society, the ones that people had pushed to one side and trodden on. No, Jesus had time for them. But he also had the best news for, for those of us who are spiritually poor, you know, the poverty of a life without God. Jesus, whose job it is to bind up those who are brokenhearted. Jesus, who, who frees from the captivity to sin, from the slavery to a meaningless life. Jesus, who shines a light in the darkness. Jesus, who proclaims a new era of God's blessings to his people. He is the one that can give us joy and praise. He's the reason why, why me, a Gentile, an outsider, can now be counted as one of God's people. He's the one in whom our eternal inheritance is guaranteed. He is the one who's going to bring about the transformation of everything. He has started this work already, but he's going to come back and finish it. Like a teaser before the full film, you get a glimpse. You get a little picture of just how good it's going to be. The everlasting covenant that God speaks of in verse 8 that he makes with his people, that's the one that Jesus speaks of with his disciples at the Last Supper. Now, he is the anointed preacher that Isaiah 61 points towards, the preacher who's going to restore everything. And if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, if you know and love the Lord Jesus, well, verse 10 and 11, they are words for you. They're words for us to say, to sing. You know, no longer are we haunted by the shame and disgrace. No longer are our lives defined by mourning and despair. Those are words for us. But if, if you're anything like me, you probably read those few verses or you know, heard them as I read them just now. And by the end of verse one, we've almost gone into kind of Jesus Old Testament autopilots, right? We're like, oh, okay, yeah, no, he must be talking about Jesus. Isn't that nice? It just goes on in the background, a bit like the Christmas songs that we have this time of year, you know, the shops and the radio, they're just kind of there in the background, but we're not really paying attention to them. But this is a wonderful song, this psalm. And it's a wake-up call that, that wonderfully these things about Jesus are true, and that the only and the right response to this anointed preacher is, is worship of him, is to delight in the Lord, to rejoice in God. And it's also a wake-up call for those of us who are probably feeling far from this. 
Maybe we're feeling brokenhearted this morning. Maybe we're mourning. Maybe we're despairing. Maybe we're feeling like that, that, that sad sapling by the bus stop on Chaseside in Southgate. Feeble, weak. But if you are trusting in Jesus, what Isaiah says at the end of verse three is true for you. You are an oak of righteousness. You're steadfast, immovable. Something that can, that can withstand the storms of life. Because rejoicing when life is going well is one thing. But what does it look like for a Christian in the tough times? When the rain is lashing down, when the thunder and lightning is going on all around us. We've, we've got some friends who, who have had a terrible year. They, they are Christians. But by all accounts, they are, it feels like they are crawling over the line to Christmas. Yeah, they've, they've grieved elderly parents dying. They've, they've mourned the loss of possessions as their, their house was broken into and utterly ransacked. And then they felt the darkness and uncertainty descend on their house in, in June as a cancer diagnosis came through for the dad out of nowhere. How do you rejoice when that's the reality of life? Um, just two weeks after they'd received the, the diagnosis from the dad. Uh, we, we'd just done a week on camp with their daughter and he sent me a text. And I was, I was blown away by what this text was because he was buzzing. He was absolutely buzzing at, at the week his daughter had had on camp. You know, on time messing around and time spent with friends and time in the Bible and time singing and praising God when that was the least thing she felt like doing. But he was absolutely buzzing because he was rejoicing in God and his work in his daughter that week. He couldn't really find much to rejoice in in his circumstances, so he rejoiced in the Lord. Uh, we received a Christmas card from them this week and it had a, had a newsletter in it, just updating everyone on, on what's going on. And they, they closed the newsletter with, with four verses from, from Psalm 46, which is a wonderful anthem of praise and delight to God. You know, wonderfully and, and amazingly, things are looking up for them as a family. But what we've seen this year is a family that God has bound up. You know, he has brought light into their situation in the darkness of death and uncertainty a family that is rejoicing in God despite their circumstances. And yes, that rejoicing is sometimes through, through eyes that are filled with tears and hearts that are asking, God, we don't know why you're doing this, but we know you're good. Because they know the inevitability of what God is doing. You know, Isaiah finishes these chapters, verses 10 and 11, reinforcing how inevitable this is, like the spring that comes every single year. One day this will, be all, this will be completed. It cannot be stopped. You know, like, like the tide that rises, nothing can stop it. But there is also a warning in this chapter. Have a look back with me at verse 2. Because in amongst the work of the, of the preacher to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour... It's also to proclaim the day of vengeance of our God. See, tied up with the day of the Lord's favour is the day of vengeance. That's a really common theme in Isaiah. Kind of two sides of the same coin. 
that the day of salvation for people that, that know the Lord and trust in Jesus is a day of vengeance for everybody else. Kind of like the, the, like the tide that rises to float the ships out of the harbor so they can go and fish is the same tide that will cause trouble for the walk who's mistimed their, their trek at the foot of the cliffs. No, the tide is rising. The, inevit- the inevitability of Christ coming is certain. Verse 10 is a song that can be sung by anyone who welcomes the work of Jesus. Jesus, God's anointed preacher who is going to restore everything. We're going to sing in a minute. And perhaps if if you've come here this morning and you don't yet sing this song, uh, maybe stand up with the rest of us and just read through this chapter one more time and see if you'd like to be included in the work of the anointed preacher, if you'd like to be bound up and restored. Now, this is the greatest turnaround ever. This blows the holiday out of the water. We have people who, who go from captivity to freedom, darkness to light, lives that are defined by mourning to lives that are defined by praise, devastation to restoration, shame to everlasting joy. This is the work of God's preacher. This is the work of Christ, God's son. And we get to rejoice in the goodness of that. This is the life that we get to live as Christians. Let's pray and and thank Jesus for that now. Lord Jesus, we praise you that you are the one anointed by God, that you are the one who comes to restore all things, that you bind up those of us who are brokenhearted, that you free us from darkness and captivity, that you lead us into a glorious inheritance. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your work, for the everlasting covenant that we now have in you. Thank you that because of you, we can be oaks of righteousness. We thank you for all of the work that you do and we pray that we would lead lives that that rejoice in who you are and what you've done. Amen.